Chance on for Merchant, all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What about that? Welcome to For Fox 8, my name is Pete Selby, alongside me, Rob. Rob, I'm doing this from a hotel room because I'm currently homeless until Saturday between houses, so don't worry everyone. Um, where are you? I am not homeless, but I have been on strike today. Go up the teachers, pay up and all that. Solidarity with the strikers. So what you're doing, had a, a big lie-in and just basically, uh, you know, breakfast in bed, got up. Watched Trisha, and then um, lolled around the house. Went to the pub, got back. Now doing for Fox sake. Is that what you've been doing? To be fair, I, I nearly booked a barber's appointment, but I thought if I see a parent or something in there and they want to talk to me about why I'm striking and I'm just sitting there having my hair cut, it might not look great. So uh, I stayed in and did uh, did a bit of uh, did a bit of gardening, bit of bit of tidying up, ready for the spring. That kind of really exciting stuff. Oh, right. Oh, okay. So you weren't on the front line. You weren't on the picket with, like, you know, um, throwing things and, and big banners and stuff like that. Made no, because I feel like it'd be very awkward. I'd be stood outside the school where I work with the children that I should probably be teaching that day, uh, standing there with a sign. I feel like a, a picket outside your own school is a bit, like, anti your school, which is definitely not how I feel. It's, you know, I, I, I just, I'm doing it peacefully from the comfort of my own home. My gas bill's taking a hit for it today, though. Flipping heck, I'm going back to work tomorrow. I was about to say, you need, to, you need a pay rise, don't you, if you can stay downside with the, the gas on. But uh, but anyway, we're, we're here uh, not to talk about you being on strike or me being between houses currently, but uh, um, we're talking about Leicester. And uh, a lot's happened, as you said previously, about five minutes before we went on air. I think probably, Rob, the, the, the most forgetful thing or the thing that we're going to talk about least is actually the win on Saturday. Uh, we won one nil away at Warsaw and we're in the next round of the Cup and we're going to be playing Blackburn at home, which is a, a nice draw. If you said we're going to play Blackburn at home in the fifth round of the FA Cup, you'd have taken that, progressing through two rounds and then a championship side at home. You can't ask for much more than that. But the win one nil, I think about covers it, really. That man, Kelechi, scores again in the Cup, again. Yeah, it was basically whatever we said about the Gillingham game, which was probably very little, we can say exactly the same about the Walsall game. They were at it. It wasn't the greatest of pitches. It was a proper FA Cup atmosphere. We, on paper, should have beaten them 4 or 5 nil. We didn't, but we're through to the next round, and really, who cares about anything else? And, and Christiansen got on the pitch in, in a Leicester shirt, uh, and Madison came through... Um, unscathed as far as I'm aware so let's take the positives and the, the draw's a good one as well yes it is and and I, I, exactly the same just, just copy and paste and you go through and uh, yeah we've got Blackburn in the next round and then if they they beat Blackburn then, then it starts to get very very interesting um, so more on that and really uh, yeah, Christensen makes his first appearance for Leicester and look quite tidy and we'll know more in the difficult set of fixtures that we've got to come Um since then, we've had, and we said on the previous podcast, that we'll wait until the day after the transfer window to talk about the signings, which is good because obviously we've made a few 
and also the news today regarding uh, the finances at the club. And I think probably we should start on that, really. Um, I'll just read uh, a little blurb, really, from the football club, etc. Um, and uh, essentially, Leicester, uh, the chairman, Kuntop, has relieved the club of debts uh, to King Power, who's obviously the parent company of, of Leicester City Football Club, uh, totaling over £194 million. So this... When it arrived on my screen at work this morning, Sky Sports News obviously playing in the studios, etc. And it, it took a couple of read-throughs just to go, or oh, what? Um, what's happened here? And a few people then in, in the gallery in the studio like work with, what does that mean? And I kind of r- roughly looked at it and went, right, basically they've paid off the debts. And then you look into more detail and the, and the, the statement from the club from top saying, maintaining long-term stability is vital when for sustainable growth. We want to make sure we continue on that path from the strongest, most secure financial footing. Uh, The conversion into equity serves uh, to strengthen the club's balance sheets, reduce its interest costs, which is something really to to underline, and prove further evidence of King uh, King Power International's commitment to supporting the club's long-term sustainability. continues, these loans have been provided by KPI to the club over the last four years to fund the construction of the club's world-class new trading ground at Seagrave and to continue to support the club's investment into its squad and women's football during the pandemic. So, essentially, that part is very important. Over the last four years, uh, they've built the training ground, they've invested in the side, uh, basically in the club as a whole, the women's side, not an awful lot, but, you know, keeping on um, the training ground for the women's team, but also then maintaining the club through the pandemic. That, when you equate the fact that we've got a very high wage bill to turnover, means that King Power has spent a lot of money. And what they've done is that then they've turned those loans from King Power International to the football club have basically been written off. They've, you know, turned into equity to the shareholders, etc. And they've been written off. So when you look at it, that's essentially it. The club owed money and they owed money to King Power and King Power have now gone, actually, no, we'll just we'll, we'll kind of buy it out. So it's good news. Essentially, it's very good news. It confirms King Power as not only the owners of the football club, but it also looks like they wanting to continue for the foreseeable future. You wouldn't do this if you if you weren't, because there'd be no point. And it means Leicester are relatively debt-free. It means that we don't have the interest payments on these loans to pay for. So when you're looking at it from a fan's point of view, how much money then goes into the playing side, does this mean that FFP, etc., etc.? Well, if we're not paying interest payments, which you can only presume to be a lot on nearly £200 million, then that's more money for the football club to pay uh, to spend on players and to pay in wages. So, of course, it helps with FFP. Um, so, yeah, essentially, it's just really good news. Um, I've seen a lot of comments with people just going, yep, yeah, brilliant. A lot of people then going, hang on, a lot of people were concerned about King Power. This apparently happened on the 31st of uh, December but it's taken until now for companies house etc to release it or, or whatever um so yeah it confirms that they they want to continue so that kind of dispels a lot of people's theories and that was okay okay to have theories end of the day that's what podcasts kind of are there for in many ways and uh and overall it's it's great news and it's a bit of a uh, you see a lot of people from other clubs kind of going this looks a bit dodgy no it isn't it's just that they don't really kind of understand it and they're watching from afar so that's fine but um yeah good news all around yeah very good news uh especially when uh the kind of 
lack of inspiration on the pitch has led a lot of people to look elsewhere for for problems that may or may not exist behind the scenes. Things that that us as the uh, sort of regular supporters are not really privy to. You know, you know who's responsible for what behind the scenes. Why are Leicester struggling to? stump up the cash to invest in players that kind of thing um you know is the is the uh, stadium expansion permanently stalled or is it just a temporary you know delay that kind of thing all all of those questions and although they haven't all been answered individually i think the statement has completely reaffirmed top's commitment to the club and and it's not really done anything at all to to make people question it. He'd released a statement at the beginning of the season uh, stating the, the, the difficulty with the finances, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think it, it was broken down a little bit, the uh, the, the the reason why the, the sale of Fafana didn't automatically put exactly that much money in Brendan Rodgers' pocket, all those kind of things. Uh, and everybody kind of understood. But then there's been radio silence from that kind of side of the club for for three four months or something like that so so when the transfer window is a little bit quiet as it was earlier on in January uh, and when you're sort of saying well what is the the what is the vision for the club now where where do we go next from here can they afford to sack Rogers are they keeping Rogers because they're planning to back him again with this big turnaround in the summer that kind of thing I think most of those question marks that are buzzing around in people's heads, certainly in my head, uh, although mine weren't, I wasn't necessarily as vocal as some people are on social media and down the pubs and down the King Power. They, they, it was a little bit of a niggling doubt as to are they as committed as they were even pre-pandemic. You know, the pandemic caused a, a lot of financial issues for a lot of companies, and like none less than King Power, who were based a large proportion of their their income on on travel travelers going through airports duty free all that kind of stuff so this completely reaffirms their their long-term commitment and i think the statement that accompanies the um the 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 financial statement if you like the the, the wiping off the 194 million pounds worth of debt is a big statement in itself but then the words that followed or, or came alongside it saying uh, the the long-term commitment to the club, the stability, etc., everything that you've just spoken about there, all just puts the club as a business and the sort of future of the club, in my mind, it puts it in a much more positive light. Yes. Um, I mean, what, what, what does it mean going forward? I think it just means that what pretty much you said there, this summer we know... We know there's going to be a huge overall in the, in the playing squad because a lot of players are out of contract, so naturally they will leave. Um, we don't know about the manager as yet, so that's all to come. And it doesn't know we don't know what division we're in. And again, we'll talk about that. But it means that as an actual football club, when you're looking at a stadium expansion, etc., and also other football clubs being in certain problems with their finances, and other football clubs all of a sudden having a huge injection of wealth. There seems to be a huge disparity in the Premier League now between clubs in the Premier League, which there always was, but now it it seems to be almost more than ever where certain clubs are just splashing the cash because of ways and means with FFP, with financial fair play, and also being bought by majority either uh, American owners or nation states. 
and you need that to be turned into an effective management and then team on the field Newcastle just your prime example doing very well and they will be back to the hilts if they I mean who knows what they're going to be doing if they manage to get Champions League football in terms of um, purchasing players but then there's the other clubs who have been riding high doing well almost being left behind in a certain way and you, you would kind of put Leicester as that riding high doing very well in the Premier League winning trophies time of our lives as we've been saying for years and then all of a sudden, these other clubs start to be brought out by certain people and certain places and nations, and they naturally overtake Leicester in the Premier League, cycles of squads, etc., when you look more into the football side of things. But the likes of Newcastle, the likes of Aston Villa, riding high in the Premier or, or being brought out by, by wealthy owners, you look at Everton and the mess they're in, it doesn't necessarily go right if you don't spend very well. Um even something like Bournemouth being brought out and making audacious is probably the best word, bids for players. And very funnily, the the, the offers being accepted by football clubs and then the, the player going, I'm going to where, Bournemouth? Uh, they're like really close to relegation and also they've got a small ground and it's a small club. But they've been brought out by a, a wealthy owner who's all of a sudden just gone shopping in, in the window that only... A big American owner can do, you know, at this current time. It's it's such a strange Premier League at the moment, the way the way it is, and Leicester don't want to get left behind. And I think this is all almost a statement on that as well to say, look, you know, this is all going going on, but we're here, we're here to stay. You know, this football club is going to spend money. We've got money. We've taken a bit of a foot off the gas. The uh, pandemic hit the football club very hard because of again the high wage bill, etc. Compared to a lot of other football clubs. And it's taken us a little bit of time to figure it out, to get back on an even keel. They've done very well to reduce the um, the wage bill. Just to give you some indication, 85% is now the figure that's being banded around um, when I'm pretty sure it was over 100%. And naturally, the players like Iosi Perez, um, also Mark Albrighton, I'm not entirely sure, and we'll come on to that shortly, but how how much West Brom are paying him and, and eventually when players leave it will reduce an awful lot but uh, that still will need to come down but it looks like they've looked at the finance of the football club and gone right it's going in the right direction so what we'll do we'll do this now at an important stage and then we'll see what happens on the pitch yeah yeah it's exactly that and and I think we this is a good point to move into uh, ins and outs of the of the transfer window. Seeing as we're recording this on the first of February, and uh, things officially closed 11 p.m. last night. Although the final outgoing wasn't confirmed until until afterwards. Uh, with Mark Albrighton, I would imagine when you know when Leicester won the league and everybody got a a big old contract boost. It'll, it'll have been. Dining out's a negative phrase, but he'll have been enjoying the benefits of that for many a year since. So him away for now, West Brom probably aren't more more than likely aren't paying the whole the whole whack of that. I think the Albrighton move has come out of a, out of a mutual respect really between him and Rogers because he was voted in as vice captain by the other players. Uh, if Rogers had chosen that himself one would suggest that he probably wouldn't have picked Albrighton knowing that he was not really planning to use him 
uh, as a regular starter in the team. So it's clearly a guy that, that everybody respects around the club. He's been here a long, long time. One of, what, three surviving members now of the of the title-winning team. Um, and I really, I, I admired his, his statement that he made when he moved to West Brom, to be honest, because it, it's probably not saving us that much cash, a little, little bit here or there. Um, but he said at his stage of his career, he's got kids that want to see him playing football on a Saturday and they couldn't do that re- until like the last couple of games where he's found himself in, in the Leicester team for, for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, he's from that kind of area, West Midlands area. I, I, I can't, you can't blame the bloke at all, can you really? And, and Perez has end of contract in the summer with Leicester. Another one where you can see right in this in this uh, reshuffle of the team in the summer, he's, he, it's very, very unlikely that he's on your list of definitely keeps um, if, if you're Brendan Rodgers and you're doing it X-Factor style where you've got a photo of everybody and you're like, they're, they're going through, them, they're out. It'd have been in the out pile, 100% for, for most people. So I would imagine Betis will be covering a lot of his wages as well. It gives him a chance to play a bit of football back in his homeland as well. It, uh, May or may not result in them thinking, oh, let's let's sign him, whatever. My only issue with that is they both of those players have played pretty much all of their football for Leicester on the right hand side, and I would say, right the right side of attacking the attacking three or the right side of midfield, right winger, whatever you want to call it, uh, we earmarked that as one of the key areas for strengthening in this transfer window. So when you get Tete in, we'll talk about incomings uh, in a few minutes, but you get him in and you're thinking, here we go, that's that's somebody who's going to start wide right. And then you've got these options uh, through. Jack Harrison was still being mentioned um, for anything between 20 to 30 million. Um, and then two wingers or right-sided players vanish within the last few hours of the transfer window. And all of a sudden... You've signed minus one wingers in the window. Regardless of whether I think Perez and Albrighton are good enough to play for Leicester or not, it doesn't address the balance issue for me on that right-hand side. It gives leaves you with two wingers in a team that's insisting we're playing two wide forwards. Therefore, those two players need to start every game. Either that or Dennis Pratt and James Madison continue to play out of position for the rest of the season where neither of them are anywhere near as effective. So from a footballing point of view, it... I found it a little bit disappointing, really. I was I was almost waiting for a very, very late loan or or some kind of miracle transfer to come through where Leicester had something in the backdrop. I, I found it difficult to believe that they'd let Albrighton and Perez go without another addition of somebody that can play out wide. No, I get the impression that they were really pushing hard for that Harrison bloke, and um, and obviously it didn't work out whether they were ever close or not. But I I completely agree. I think that the loss of these two looks towards the fact that they were looking kind of elsewhere, um, maybe even in the middle of the park, knowing that maybe obviously Madison can then play in that right forward position. So you got Madison, you got Tete, and obviously Barnes can play there on that side, but. The Albrighton one's difficult because it's obviously very, very personal. You know, he's gone there for personal reasons. You mentioned about his kids wanting to watch him actually play football. Um, he, he must have weighed up plenty over the last few weeks because I don't think this is a snap decision at all. He's obviously waiting until the last possible second. I'd imagine the bid, uh, the offer from West Brom was on the table and he's been mulling over it for a long time. The fact that he's been playing for Leicester for the last few games would have added another curveball to it. It's disappointing. I think it's very, very disappointing. It's going to be whenever, whenever a player leaves 
the football club with the, the history of Mark Albright. What is there only Vardy left that I can think of? And and Amati. Um, and Amati. Oh right, yes. Uh, so so Vardy and Amati. But for someone like Albright, and obviously a fan's favourite, etc., it's, it's disappointed. But also he was playing. He was a vital member of the squad. So that. Is it an interesting development? So that can only lead me to him going, right, there's two ways of looking at it. He was obviously had the option of going to another football club or staying at Leicester, quite obvious. Um, He could stay at Leicester pretty much until he retires, earning a good wage, never going to be a first-team player again from the start, but he's going to get the odd minutes here and there. Vice-captain, la-di-dar, brilliant. But obviously he wants to play. So he wants to go and play football somewhere. I think that could have easily been done a lot earlier, but then Leicester start playing him a few times. I reckon that slowed this up. He must have been looking at it going, do I... He must feel in himself that he can play for a long time. So then he goes to West Brom. He can play there for six months. He could easily then go and sign for West Brom. Not a problem. Or he could then prove to... Other clubs, either in Championship or Premier League, look, I'm good enough to be a signing for you, and then have a you know a two or three year deal. Who knows? Um, so there's that element to it. Is he playing just for fitness, just so his kids can see him play, just to prove to Leicester he can play, or is he actually in the shop window for another for a move somewhere? I have to believe that it's going to be for a move somewhere because he feels like he can almost like a James Milner type player. Um, not too dissimilar in a, in, a, in a strange way, um, but that that's what I think. I think he, he he must think he can play a lot longer and wants to. So, so in in that case, fair play to him. And the club have obviously agreed to it, and I'd imagine it's been done through gritted teeth. I, I'd imagine Brendan Rodgers was like, "Nope, don't want that at all. Don't want that to happen in the slightest." But it's Mark Albrighton. Okay, we're not going to stand stand in your way. If you want to, you can. Um, because of who you are and what you've done. But it is very, very disappointing. Um, again, for the vice... And then you look at it from a football point of view. Yes, he was playing, but also he's the vice-captain of the club. He's a very well-respected member of the, of the of the first team. But also, look at our position. We're not lolling around in 10th place, not going to get Europe and not going to get relegated. So this is a, a, quite an important member of the first team squad who's been shipped out on loan. Um, this Tete lad better be, you know, worth his, not waiting gold, but worth his place, worth his uh, ability to pull up the socks of Mark Albrighton because if he doesn't hit the ground running, literally, then he's there's, there's going to be a, a bit of a gap in the squad. Um, the one thing with this Tete, if we move nicely on to him, um, is that they have been tracking him for a fair while. So it's not the kind of random selection. I, w- I was, you know, a bit down in the last podcast saying, you know, hang on, who, who it, this this just reeks of football manager. But if they have been tracking this guy, and I know it's slightly awkward with the loans, etc., and the the issues with Shakhtar Donetsk, it's, it's, not, it's not his fault in the slightest. It's no one's fault that that kind of, that happened from a football point of view. Um, so that's why it is a slightly awkward and slightly strange scenario because it got on loan from then Leon, etc., etc. But I was buoyed by the fact that they have been watching him for a while. That gives me uh, a bit more hope. End of the day, proofs in the pudding. We'll see it when he wears a blue shirt. Yeah, look at the left-footed right-wingers that have come through Leicester 
in the last, say, what, 10 years or so. You've got Anthony Knockhart, who was one of the best players we've probably seen play for Leicester in, in the Championship. Uh, you know, you'd, most opposition fans absolutely despised him because of his play, play antics and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Watford fans probably find him their, their most favourite pantomime villain going. Uh, but but Leicester fans absolutely loved his style of play. He had a trick in him. He worked hard. He he looked like he really cared about wearing a Leicester shirt. And and when he drifted inside on on his left foot, you knew a lot of the time something pretty special was going to happen. And then his ready-made replacement, really some some skinny lad, another little lad from France, comes in on the right hand side, left footer not a championship winger by any stretch was he because those championship fullbacks just absolutely nailed him to begin with but you know he got he got into the he got into things and now he's a world class footballer uh winning everything that there is to win at Manchester City by the Champions League um Rashid Ghazal I'll skip over because you know he's the only other left-footed right winger that springs oh, to mind from from recently dog, but uh, yeah but this this Tete yeah he's been like like you say Leicester have been watching him for a while. He said that. Um, he, as as many people do from around the world, dreams of playing in the Premier League. Leicester is a bigger pull now than it was those 10 years ago that I'm talking when Knocker and Mares were, were around, like less than 10 years probably for Mares. But um, we're, we're ex-Premier League champions, which has made us a global globally known that's that's a fact we're not clinging on to uh something that happened six and a half years ago but it, it, it is a fact people know the name of Leicester City now he's obviously been absolutely blown away with the training facilities that kind of thing he understood that Leicester wanted him for uh, at least one window prior to this one which is very different to just sort of knocking on Shakhtar and Leon's door last minute and going oh can we have that Brazilian fella you know he, he feels wanted uh, he set a bit of a sort of record as the first Brazilian to sign for Leicester. And I'm just looking at his stats now. And in league on for, for Leon, he's got six goals, two assists in 17 games. That's eight goal, uh, eight goal involvements in 17 games. That's almost one in two, um, which is not bad going in, in a decent league, to be fair. And it's a deal, I think, that makes sense for Leicester because... This for 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 the three million pounds in compensation the Leicester have had to pay Leon, this gives you a look at a bloke for half a season. Uh, similar to the conversation we had about Adam Ola Lookman last week, we don't know the reasons why he didn't sign permanently for Leicester, but Leicester had a good chance to look at him with that season long loan. This is half a season, and then uh, he does have to go officially back to Shakhtar when uh, uh, on the first of July, um, because the FIFA ruling that allows the suspension of contracts for for players playing for Ukrainian clubs, foreign nationals playing for Ukrainian clubs, that currently ends at that point. But his Shakhtar contract only runs then until the end of this year. So if Leicester wanted to buy him in the summer and he had to go back to Shakhtar, they can't demand an outrageous fee for a player that's only got six months left on his contract. And, you know, in, in the very worst case scenario, if Leicester are desperate to get him but... but can't make a, an agreement on a price with Shakhtar, then they can sign him on a pre-contract agreement. He just doesn't sign a new contract with Shakhtar and he joins um, in the, well, about this time, sort of 
well, not even this time next year, like 1st of January uh, 2024. So it, it it's a deal that makes sense. It's three million quid for a winger for half a season, really. Uh, and one that, that's got numbers to back the kind of playing style that he that he says is his. He likes to be involved in goals and assists. But he said his main priority, I've, I've watched his interview, uh, well, he didn't say it, well, he said it in Portuguese, obviously, but I don't speak Portuguese. He, he said that um, it's uh, his main priority is to work hard for the team and, and, and put in a performance that's going to help the team to win football matches. So... He's saying all the right things. The numbers say the right things. The deal makes sense for everybody. But like you say, Pete, with two players who you know what you're going to get from them in Albrighton and Perez um, departing, he has got to come straight into this team and do what he says he's going to do um, because we haven't got time with the nature of the deal and the nature of the position in the Premier League. We haven't got time to sort of bed him in softly, softly. He's got to get straight straight into the into the thick of it and, and start getting goals and assists from the off. Yeah, he does. I mean, you can just imagine he's going to be starting in the next game in that position. I can't see any reason why not. Um, and, and when you look at the, the team overall, you know, if you're going to play that formation, you could have uh, the goalkeeping situation. Obviously, Ward's going to be remaining in goal, bar any, you know, dramatic, uh, I'd say, don't turn down in form, although I don't think you can have a worse period of form than he had at the start of the season. Uh, Christiansen, Suter, um, Volt Vass, then you got uh, either, I don't know whether Ricardo will be back in time, more than likely, but him, Castagna. Um, and then you'd have Dewsby Hall um, and Tielemans, maybe Madison then ahead of them, Tete one side, Barnes the other, and then Vardy down the middle, although Vardy's obviously got that injury at the moment. So that's roughly all Kelechi and Nacho if he can uh, play in the Premier League, if uh, Brendan realises he can play in the Premier League. So that's the scenario, really, at Leicester. Uh, the best-case first-team scenario, I think most people would imagine. Maybe, indeed, he comes in um, and Tillemans move further forward. That could obviously be a case. So it's uh, as transfer windows go, um, I'm just going to put it as not bad because we've spent a fair bit of money. You know, we spent over £30 million. That's... Um, maybe even a little bit more than I thought they would do. So um, pretty decent, pretty decent. And we've got a big, tall centre-off from Stoke in, in Harry Suter, who, again, uh, it's one of those where, we, with every player, you could spend £100 million on a player. You know, Chelsea have just signed Enzo Fernandez, even though he, he looks superb at the World Cup. We're very fortunate to see him in, in, in real life in the World Cup. And he was my pick after a couple of games, saying, like, this guy's really good in midfield. Hundred and seven million pounds. Wow, I'm not entirely sure about that. But um so this guy's come in and yeah, okay, if he, he fits the bill. If you look at centre halves that Leicester have signed from lower league clubs in I was kind of half thinking Matt Elliott kind of thing back there. But you know you know what I mean? those kind of like defenders, uh they they've pretty much kind of worked out really, you know, go from Elliott to Maguire, for example. And Suter, as we mentioned, the Maguire thing, you know, maybe maybe it could go that way. I've just got this impression about Suter. It's going to be one or the other. There's no middle ground with this guy. He's going to be wicked or he's going to be crap. It would be a big risk if Brendan Rodgers also thought it was that 50-50 because 
he's already signed one really tall centre-back who turned out to be an absolute donkey. So if he if he did another one and this one cost him £15 million, pounds, we'd all be a bit like, hmm, steady on, mate. I will say, however, um, I uh, I purchased Harry Suter for Leicester on, uh, on FIFA, right? This is obviously where, where we get all of our inside knowledge from on this podcast. Um, put him straight in a pre-season friendly against Paris Saint-Germain and he had an absolute nightmare and Bappy turned him inside out. So if we're talking 50-50, I'm going to say he, he's going to be a donkey. But that's obviously from a FIFA point of view. I'll tell you what he was good at, heading corners away. And that is a big bonus for Leicester because, you know, there, there have been times... Uh, perhaps not so much this season, but last season where Vestergaard just got brought on when we were trying to defend a lead just to head balls out of the box because we haven't really got anybody who can do that. Amati and Fass are both just about six foot, six foot one maybe if they're if they're stretched well in the morning. Um, and Didi, apart from that, is has got to be our other sort of tallest player. He probably is our tallest player until now. So as long as he's half tidy, half tidy with his feet and as long as he is not frightfully slow then he's going to be of some use to Leicester City you would imagine just imagine if a, a team have a, a bit of a battering ram up front or like to play the aerial ball and we play Vestergaard and Suter at the back go on in out, out jump knees and they probably will but um, yeah it's uh, yeah so he's, he's coming and fair play to him interesting about um, Vestergaard turning down a move to Hertha Berlin not first of all when I saw that I think every single person kind of went you know why are you turning it down it has to be about money uh my first thought was up uh, Hertha Berlin would be a really good move you know good team that's that seems like a, a very sensible good move but then it, it came out the next day that um Vestigar said it's not all about money uh or it's not about money at all he says I have not said no to Hertha or others because of money uh it doesn't fit at all I have a very special situation uh, in the family. We're expecting a child right now. Um, also, I don't want to be somewhere where they don't use me. But before, uh, I'm a footballer. I'm a husband and a father, etc. That's quotes to uh, TV2 in, in Denmark. Um, contrary to the summer, I had nothing uh, on hand at the start of the window. This summer, there were a handful of attractive clubs with offers to hire me. But Les said no, the club would only accept a sale and not a loan. Um, if they came to an agreement earlier on then his wife could have basically sorted it out but it's too close and she's not allowed to fly um, so he can't leave his wife basically in England uh, with their kid etc and, and obviously the newborn uh, when that comes along so yeah there you go so I mean I think uh, you, you read below comments and it basically just loads of people just going fair enough you know fair enough fair enough um, but I may be slightly harsher of a, of a more uh, potent point about that and he actually mentions it himself um, if there were something sorted out basically earlier on in the window then he could have arranged it with his wife etc and all that sort of thing why wasn't that done now I know Vestergaard's been on the bench a few times but he was hardly first choice player coming into the defence Wilfred Ndidi's played in centre half positions more than Vestergaard so if offers were made for Vestergaard at the start of the transfer window and Leicester were interested in say a Harry Suter at the time which you can only imagine they were then 
surely a conversation would have gone, oh, Yannick, uh, Hertha Berlin or enter European club here who are currently 10th um, are interested in you. Do you want to... Well, my wife's just about to give birth, etc., etc., so I don't really want to leave it. But if we do it now, then we can sort it out. Don't leave it until the end of January because it'll be too late. End of January comes round, Hertha Berlin come knocking and he's like, well, no, because... Like I said, I can't leave now because she's too far gone and i got to stay. That should have been sorted out earlier. It, it, so if, if it was the decision that he's going to stay at a football club, then don't release the fact that Hertha Berlin are coming in for you. Just say he's not for sale, not for loan. Job done. Everyone knows. So it's, it's a little awkward. It doesn't quite sit right because if they wanted him gone and they were going to accept a decision, uh, they were going to accept a bid and accept a loan, why not do it at the start of the transfer window? This just reeks of waiting until the last week of the transfer window, as clubs do, to get things done. And it really has not worked out for Leicester because he would have gone and it would have been a huge amount off the wage bill. Again, reducing that wage bill, bringing it down 85%, make it lower. Um, yeah, just a missed opportunity, really. Yeah, missed opportunity for the club because if you're earmarking players that would lighten the load on the wage bill, players that are not in Brendan Rodgers' plans whatsoever, he's pretty much top of that list, isn't he? So you would think that from January the 1st, Leicester should have been actively seeking opportunities to to pass him on, you know, just have a word with his... Uh, with with his agent and and with him with Vestergaard himself and say look if you want to go out and actively seek another club please please do so and if if Vestergaard is is in a position to speak so openly and publicly about his reason for rejecting the move to Hertha Berlin then you would absolutely imagine he's the he's the kind of bloke that would be open and honest with the club at the beginning of the window and say look. You and I both know that I'm not wanted or needed here anymore. So get me a deal done in the first couple of weeks of January. Uh, and provided I'm all right with it, we'll, we'll go. But you leave it any later. And, you know, I've got responsibilities which are far, far bigger than Leicester City Football Club. And, and that's his responsibility as a husband and a father. I think a lot of people especially the ones that have probably been slating him for money and stuff like you said there, you probably thought the the Hertha Berlin rejection was something to do with money initially, but you're not the kind of person, well, I hope you're not the kind of person that's going to go on social media and start effing and blinding about him and saying money grabber, just like all the other footballers, blah, blah, blah. I think this is a real, uh, this one and the Albrighton one mentioning his kids about wanting them to see him uh, play football still. It, it, reminds us that these are not sort of possessions or commodities or assets. They are actually still human beings who are doing a job and who are raising a family and or, or whatever and haven't they have a home life just like the rest of us. So I I, I, can't, I really do appreciate Vestergaard coming out and saying that. I know he's probably done it because he's taken a bit of a bashing on the socials, but um it, it's quite refreshing to see actually because he could have just sat in silence on that warmed Leicester's bench or sort of just been a training squad member um knew he wasn't getting on the on the pitch because if he doesn't start against Walsall when does he start and um 
and 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 that's that's it could, it could have stagnated even more than it already hasn't with with more ill feeling towards him but i think a few quite a few people will now just go yeah well yeah f- fair play to him and and it's it's ultimately it's probably Leicester city's fault that Vestergaard is still on the wage bill you can't blame him he's got a job he's under contract he's getting paid by Leicester they haven't moved him on to somewhere else who's going to pay his wages so why on earth like why what's he doing wrong he's doing nothing wrong whatsoever um something that was more about money was the was the reason that Suunchu didn't depart and that's um more down to the fact that Atletico Madrid must have spent all of their remaining cash on bringing in Matt Doherty which is a very very rogue signing for for a January transfer window um, so financial fair play meant that they they were in a bit of a tight spot, so they couldn't get the Suunchu deal uh, over the line in January. They'll probably look if they're still interested in the summer to get him on a free when he inevitably leaves the club. But you know it could have been could have been those two out uh, uh, and Suter in, and I think that would have sat better with me at centre back than than the two out on the on the right hand side of midfield. But it, you know it happened the other way around, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It's um, yeah, I, I I agree with you about Vestergaard to a point though, because I, I I think it's just basically the the fans' anger should now yeah move away from Vestergaard and essentially to the club because I I think it's a mismanagement from the club regarding his situation, which should have been well known. But I also will and say yeah, okay, I completely get his point of view, absolutely hundred percent. But it's a very easy thing to say. When you're going to be picking up seventy grand a week <laughs> um, for the next six months, uh, sitting on the bench, as you said, if you're not playing against Warsaw, you're not going to be playing unless there's a proper injury crisis. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate his words, and you can only take him at face value that it's the actual reason. I'm not saying it's like a very convenient thing to say, um, but again, he's earning an absolute fortune. So, you know, it's it's a very Simple and easy thing to put out there and, and, and to quell um, any kind of uh, angst amongst Leicester fans directed at him for that point of view. Um, and if it's done correctly, which it has been done, then fair play. You know, I think more people should do that. Um, hopefully, again, it's the right it's the right reasons. There's going to be a lot of money coming off the wage bill. You mentioned Soyun Shu. He'll be going in the summer Vestergaard. One can only hope that Bertrand goes as well, who's actually on more than Vestergaard. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Tielemans staying in this window, which I was surprised at, even to the last um, couple of days when Ericsson is injured at Manchester United. They need a midfielder. All of a sudden, they go and sign someone from, from the continent. I'm thinking, well, surely they're going to bid for Tielemans. Um, Arsenal uh, didn't quite get their centre midfielder. Different kind of player, I know. But I thought they might go in for a Yuri Tillemans cut price deal. Imagine if they came in with a twenty million bid or even less, and Yuri just turns around and goes, "Well, here's a chance of winning the bloody league." So surely it's going to be a move that he would like and he would prefer. Um, I, I so that was obviously didn't go through. So that was a, a great win for Leicester, really having Tielemans until the end of the season. Then of course he'll go. So there's going to be a massive overhaul in the season. That's all to come. But as we sit here right now, Rob, we're looking at Leicester. Uh, yes, going great guns in the cup, but in the league with some really difficult fixtures coming up. Um, huge game 
on Saturday. Absolutely huge. Away at Aston Villa. Um, home against Tottenham. Away at Manchester United. Home against Arsenal. Before then, they play Blackburn in the Cup. Um, even after that, the run of fixtures do get a little bit easier. I know we're looking quite far ahead, but away at Southampton, home against Chelsea, away at Brentford, away at Palace, home against Bournemouth. So there's a nice little run of games uh, before you start getting into the, the actual proper running. Aston Villa are a very strange side. I think they've certainly improved under Unai Emery. I think he's um, he's a very canny operator. He had a really good career. I know it didn't quite go right at, at Arsenal, but I think he's he's made them more solid and he's got them actually playing as a team. And I know there's one or two players there who are still not kind of all singing or dancing players that they were maybe in the past. But they are a very dangerous, competent football team, I think Villa are now. Uh, and they've got, very arguably, the best goalkeeper in the world, really, after what happened in in Qatar. It's going to be a very difficult game. But it's a game Leicester can't afford, really, to lose. away. Uh, sorry, at home against Spurs, our record against Tottenham is just dreadful isn't it absolutely dreadful away at Man United who are flying and at home against Arsenal who can do no wrong so to see Leicester picking anything up really from Spurs maybe you know but it's just I mean Kane's gonna we're gonna have to score five because Kane's gonna score four Man United away Arsenal at home I'm sorry we're just not gonna get anything we're just not are we so this Villa game is very very important because by the time we finish playing Arsenal in four games time we could play well in these four games and still be bottom of the league We've, well, I say we, I've never predicted uh, on a preview section of one of our podcast episodes, I've never predicted Leicester to lose a game. However, I'm, I'm not doing that right this second, but I'm agreeing with you in the sense that if we look more broadly at the uh, short term fixture list, it is very unlikely that we're going to get, uh, that we're going to get anything particularly substantial from any of those games so you would say look if you if if you make this game against Villa must win to take three points then you would say you've got to be realistic and think that's probably going to be the only three points you're going to get out of the next 12 available which is I think is exactly what you were saying which makes this Villa game at the weekend very 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 important. Unai Emery has done exactly as you said. He's he's made them way more difficult to beat. You know, that's the thing that I've seen with people with managers like Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard. You know, put them two in a in a similar box. They've got a certain style of play that they want to introduce. But someone like Unai Emery is is basing his team. Uh, similarly to somebody else like, I don't know, like Conte or Mourinho, they're basing their teams on the fact that they could win every game of the season 1-0. They base it on structure, they base it on being difficult to beat and then make sure that they've got talented players further up the pitch to uh, to do the damage as and when they get that opportunity. So that makes this game, yes, must win, but not also nowhere near as easy as it could have been. Um, it's easier than the next three. But the problem for Leicester is we just cannot stop shipping goals. And when the team's confidence is as low as it is at the moment, we're in a similar position to before that run of um, positive results before the World Cup, where the Leicester players don't 
have that final sort of confident instinct to play that killer ball in the final third or to take a first-time finish or, or to turn forward towards the opponent's goal rather than a safe sort of sideways pass or back or, or coming back on yourself. They haven't got that in them at the moment because that's more of a sort of natural instinctive thing that comes with the confidence of playing well and winning games. But to be able to continue to sort of bob along in the middle of the Premier League table, you've at least got to make sure in these moments that you don't concede too many goals and Leicester concede too many goals, full stop. So if if you're going to struggle to break down a Villa side anyway, let alone in the sort of low confidence that Leicester are in at the moment, then you were also looking at Villa thinking, OK, they've not scored that many under Unai Emery, but they've not faced a defence like Leicester City's in a little while, uh, who will probably open a few doors for them, uh, make the odd mistake or, you know, or, or surrender possession in a in a in a poor area to to give them the opportunity and and as soon as Villa have scored a goal in that game I, you can't see Leicester winning it so it, it you have to basically do an Unai Emery and get and build from a clean sheet but it, it that that's proven very elusive for Leicester apart from against teams like Walsall and Gillingham you know yeah, win one nil. But you got to play Kelechi and Nacho, ain't you? Which we're not going to do in the Premier League. Uh, just their form since the resumption of the league, since the World Cup, uh, they lost at home against Liverpool three one. Since then, they've won away at Tottenham two nil. They've drawn at home against Wolves one one. They've beat Leeds two one at home, and they've won one nil away at Southampton. So played five, won three, drawn one, lost one. I know then then they lost in the the FA Cup at home against Stevenage, which was rather amusing. But um. Yeah, they're in they're in decent form, and it's just going to be a, a, a. I don't think it's going to be a game where you expect plenty of goals. I I normally think Villa Park, Leicester going to Villa, um, lots and lots of goals and a chance for a win. Technically, they're not too far ahead of us in the table. They're eleventh and we're fourteenth, but there is ten points difference between the, the pair. So we're really playing for different things in the Premier League at the moment. Leicester, what three points off? Bottom of the league, Everton and, and Southampton, who are bottom, who have, have looked a lot better and have made, I think, some some very canny signings uh, in the window and look like they're getting a bit of momentum going or a bit of something going, at least a bit of belief, I think is probably the best word, um, for like Southampton. So I think it's going to be a very, very difficult game. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll take a quick look at the Premier League in, in, in a short while. So we'll just finish on what you think will happen and what team you would play I can't see any reason why Suter won't come into the starting lineup I'd love to see Tete start I can't again why not like why not put him in right side put Madison in the centre behind Patson Dacca um, Barnes the other side do it now if they want to play two up front again fair play if you're not going to play Tete from the start Madison further out wide and then I'd like to see him two in the middle that would be ideal so it's an interesting game. I would like to see that happen. I'd love to see Suter and Tete start. Maybe even Christian start. Why not? You came off the bench. You proved that you can actually put one foot in front of the other and play for 25 minutes. Why not start a game in the Premier League? Um, I, I, I think Thomas, as much as he's a player, we're always going to be saying a, a player for the future. Hopefully he just increases his physicality. I'd imagine that's what they're working on, You know, building him up as a footballer. You imagine, remember when Chilwell came into the side, you could knock him over quite easily. I mean, you can still now, but um, 
he, he got physically stronger. Maybe he's going to be a Dewsbury Hall and take until his early 20s to kind of develop that way. And if he does, we've seen him. He's a, he's a competent footballer. Could still turn into a good footballer. I'm not writing him chances off at the moment. But I'm not funny. I wouldn't start him in a million years. I just wouldn't start him. I think he's, he's almost his head's gone. He's he, he looks like a, terrible to say really, but he looks like a scared teenager out there. And the, the opposition must target him and Villa have wingers who can easily target him. So I, I wouldn't play him at all. I'd, I'd play Christian, so I can't see any reason why not. So yeah, a bit of a change back four. But do it. Change it. Because it's not been really working very hard. And I'm going to say Leicester can come away with something here. And I'm going to go for a win. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. And I'm going to go for that man, Kelechi, to come off the bench. Because he ain't going to start, is he? To score the winner. Maybe matters with the first. Yeah, the problem Rodgers has got is he's got these new signings in, but he hasn't really got any time to to bed them in, really, because you're not gonna you're not gonna chuck them in for the first start in in the next sort of games after the Villa game uh, with with the the caliber of the opposition having not given them a tryout in the Premier League to start with. So it, it's almost like a, a a chuck them in against Villa. Uh, and see what they can do because, you know, it can't, it can't really get any worse at the minute in the Premier League. Yes, we're saying this Villa game's a must-win game, but if he puts out the same team, there's absolutely just as as lesser guarantee of Leicester winning the game than if you try a few of your new players. Uh, at the very least, players like Christiansen, Suter, and Tete are going to want to perform in their in their first Premier League games in in a Leicester shirt. They're going to want to show that they are worth, in Suter and, and Christian's case, Christiansen's case, they're going to want to show that they're worth the cash that the club have spent on them. Both of those players, um, you would say, are making a significant step up in coming to Leicester uh, when you compare the Premier League to the to the Danish league and the Premier League to the Championship. That That's very clear. Tete has played at a higher level than them. He's played in, in Europe Um He's played in Liga, and like I said earlier, and 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 got some decent stats there. So he's probably got less to prove in terms of the fact that he that he can make the step up, but it still is, I would consider, a step up. So they'll be very much ready and raring to go. You would imagine it. It, it will depend on how Christiansen is fitness wise, because I know he was he was only a few weeks into uh, pre season in the, with the Danish league starting um, at a different time of the year to the to the English one. So it will be interesting. If he can play ninety minutes, I I would one hundred percent play him for ninety minutes. You, you're absolutely right with with Luke Thomas looking. He, he's lost at Premier League level because he has basically has had no uh, no chance to build up any experience anywhere else because we had an injury crisis. We lobbed him into the team at, at, during COVID a couple of years ago when he was what seventeen something like that, maybe eighteen. I don't know. Um, and and he's not really had a chance to. He's not had a breather since. He's not had a chance to step out of the team, do a bit of that physical work. Um, you could probably see a situation in the summer where Leicester get a, a, another fullback in, um, depending on how Justin's uh, rehabilitation goes. Uh, and then Thomas is is sent out on loan for for a season to a Championship team, something like that, where he can really just sort of find his feet establish himself uh, and, and basically become uh, a senior footballer rather than a, a young footballer, which he is at the moment. So Christiansen for me starts left back, uh, provided that he's fit and able. 
Uh, Wapfass at centre back is 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 a definite suitor maybe to come straight in. What well, there's no better time. He's been playing regularly for Stoke, so just chuck him straight back in. Castagna at right back, absolutely. Um, yeah, Daka through the middle if Vardy's not available. Barnes from the left. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does with Teti, whether he wants to make sure that he, he's he got somebody on the right-hand side at the beginning of the game, certainly to, to keep shape uh, and to maintain um, the kind of balance that, that Rodgers likes to have and, and in that case might play Madison from the right with a view maybe later on in the game to bring in Tete on down the right and moving Madison into a more central role. Let's let's just go for it. Chuck Tete in and move Madison inside. The the thing now is with Tielemans almost inevitably leaving in the summer, um that there is an argument um for for not starting him so often uh, and for for trying something else out in in the middle of the park. You could have Mendy at the at the base of the of the midfield trio with Madison to the right of that and and Dewsbury Hall to the left of that. That'll put Madison in a position where if he can't quite cope with the rigours of being a number eight in the Premier League, because we really haven't seen that. He he keeps saying that he can do it. I've not seen him have to do it yet. It's all well and good saying you, you feel like you can, but I've not seen him have to do it. But in that kind of situation you wouldn't necessarily have 100% responsibility for that because if he was found a bit further up upfield or he wasn't able to match a, a midfield a stronger midfield runner from an opponent then you've still got Dewsbury Hall and Mendy to play in there as a midfield too with Madison slightly more advanced so you know it could kind of it could be a little bit more fluid like that i think that's that's the kind of thing i'd like to see i think i think Mendy's done very well since he's come back into the team it always seems to be the case with Mendy that he finds himself in the team out of necessity, uh, plays well, but then somebody else comes back and then they get chucked in instead of him and he and he warms the bench for another 10-15 games. I think it, statistically he made more forward passes than any Leicester player in, in, a, in a game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Rodgers brought, brought him into the midfield to make forward passes, which not many people would have thought of about. Papi Mendy so I think he's a very valuable member of that midfield so I'd start him Madison Dewsbury Hall as the three Tetty from the right Barnes from the left uh, Vardy if he's fit but but Dakar otherwise I think will be the choice um, and yeah I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with yours as well Pete I still don't think there's a clean sheet in us but uh, let's have Tetty for a debut goal uh, Dakar to to finally find his scoring boots for the other Leicester to win 2-1. All right, so a pair of 2-1s there. We'll, we'll take 2-1. Uh, I suppose with, with no, obviously, FBL because we haven't had a game in the Premier League, uh, just to finish off the pod, just a quick look at some of the other clubs and what they've signed. And, and, and again, just looking at it from a very loose point of view on like who look what we would have won, who, who we could have had. When Danny Ings went to West Ham, I looked at that and went... I bet he's on a decent wage and it's a few quid for a player who's got an injury record, but he scores goals. Um, could we have gone in for him? Who knows? Uh, I, I love the uh, the Brian Gill uh, at uh, at Tottenham, the Brian Hill, should I say. Uh, the fact that they what, signed him from uh, Sevilla for 40-odd million and, <laughs> and loaned him back to him. They, they say, oh, OK, we've got 40 million quid for him and then we've just given to you for a few months and then now he's back. Um Away from that, again, Southampton, obviously because I do a bit of work for them, 
Um, Orsic, as soon as they signed him, I was like, hang on, that's that's a player we could have really been going for. Alcaraz as well, who's who's done very well in his uh, in his in his short time there. So some some interesting players that they've signed. Uh, away from those, uh, the the obvious club really would be Forest, and. Yeah, they've got this Danilo guy, Scarpa or whatever his name is, Felipe and, and Navas, whether they're going to be have any effects. I mean, to find Kalo Navas, an excellent signing, but 36 years old, you know, I know he's going to warm the bench. Um, But the one player, really, out of all of these players that have been signed by, by a certain size, uh, Val Veghorst going to Manchester United, strangely enough, was a player that kind of half came on the radar, etc. Um, But the one player that moved that I looked at and went, surely that could have been a player that we need and would have more than likely have been interested in signing. I don't know whether it's because the signing was uh, with a view to a move, and I think that's the case. I think there is a contract there, etc., etc. But Chris Wood, <laughs> my dad's favourite player, Chris Wood going to Forest from Newcastle, former Leicester player, Centre forward, we've got some injuries up there. Come on, Chris, come back to Leicester. Be that target man up front. You've done well in the Premier League. You've done. You scored goals up at Newcastle. You know, you're not a big swamp donkey up top. We know that. We know that for a fact against us. I looked at that and went, surely that would have been a a, a more than useful signing. And I know, looking at what other clubs have done, and going. Why didn't we sign him? You, you're going to turn yourself in knots and look at a, a huge, huge list of players. But that was the one player when he was linked with Forrest and it went got through pretty quickly. I, I looked at that and gone, hang on, why haven't we jumped on that? Because surely he would have come to us over, over them lot. I was about to sit there and say that is the opposite of a Brendan Rodgers signing somebody like Chris Wood. But then I thought about it for a second as you were just sort of explaining your reasoning there. And... You know, we've got quick forwards like Vardy and Dakar, and we've spoken at length on previous episodes of this podcast about how they're not being, uh, their strengths are not being played to. We're not looking for enough balls in behind, balls into channels to, to stretch defences and get them turned around and, and get those players playing on the shoulder. We've talked about the fact that Dakar's main struggles have been the fact that he, that he's expected so often to play with his back to goal and have a a big burly experienced premier league center center back up his backside that that he's just getting bullied off the ball cuz it's not his game chris wood you get the ball up to him in a central area to his feet and you can definitely gamble as a midfielder on getting up there to support him because you know nine times out of ten he's going to look after the ball because the first thought that came to my head was six foot three whatever six foot four striker Rogers is not the kind of manager to to play a long ball game or even sort of change things up within a game to to move to that kind of style but you wouldn't have to you could play exactly the same way use him to his feet get the midfield around him and then I think one of Leicester's other problems is the amount of times that they work the ball well out wide and then you think, right, finally somebody might put a cross in and they look up and they think, whoever's in that box has got no chance of getting on the end of this cross because, you know, there's, there's nobody in there with any aerial prowess. So ball into Wood's feet, laid off to a, a, a Madison, you know, a bit of, bit of magic, lovely ball out wide. One of the wingers, Tete or Barnes, cuts back, 
whips one in back stick. Who's there? Big man Chris Wood. Somebody to actually head a ball in the box because Patson Dacker's head, although it, it looks lovely and round in all the photos, is definitely the shape of a 50p, the way some of his headers have gone recently. Vardy's got a decent leap on him, but it's not his main strength. Ian Acho, I can't see heading a ball to save his life. So it's it, it would have, yeah, it, it would have made a lot of sense. But, you know, you don't know whether Leicester were anywhere near any any kind of signing like that. Or, you know, you also look at it and think if you've got three people who you want to play as a lone striker, then you've got plenty of squad depth there if you're Brendan Rodgers. But, yeah, I, I'd, I'd have taken him back. It, it sounds like a bit of a backward step in some ways, but in terms of fitting into the, the team as I've just sort of outlined tactically there. I think it could very conceivably have worked. I think so as well. I, I can't. I just think it would have been a, a no-brainer, really, for a player, again, with an affiliation for the football club, come back until the summer and we'll readdress things then. I think it may be just because of the contract length and it was given on the table by Forrest. <laughs> They've, they aren't half spent some money, and you know. But, uh, but anyway, that's... Yeah, I, I, I just agree with it. I, I just think he's more than a target man. I think he's a better footballer than that. So, um, and, and we know that because we've seen him at the football club. I know it was quite a while ago now. but uh, And I think someone like Patson Dacker would have worked really well alongside him as well. That would have been uh, a very interesting partnership. But we will never know. Um, can't think of anything else, Rob. I think that's about it for the podcast. Um, oh, yeah, 2-1, wasn't it? That was your prediction. Anything that you can think of or any other musings over the transfer window? No, I, th- I think we've we've done it justice. We've done it justice. What would you give a what? Okay, give a give a rating out of ten. And I say we're going to come back to this at the end of the season to to reevaluate what the uh, the signings actually worked out to be. We'll probably forget and do something else. But um, what's your rating for then Leicester's transfer window out of ten? I would give it a six and a half. <laughs> I was sitting here thinking it's a six or a seven. What should I go? Six or <laughs> that, seven? That's exactly what happened in my head. <laughs> oh, um, okay. I'm, I'm going to go with seven. Oh, the optimism. The, I like it. Exactly the optimism. But they've got in a centre off, big centre off. But we'll, we'll wait and see. As with every player, you have to. But you know, unproven at the highest level. Okay, fine. And then they've got in the winger. Again, very exciting. But we'll we'll wait and see. I was excited by Cengiz under. Um, and look how that turned out. So we'll wait and see. The only thing is, in fact, I'm going to drop it down to a six. I think there was a few players out there, and I mentioned Chris Wood just because it's it was one player that really caught the eye. What we were talking about last time, all those Chelsea players, etc., and other players. I I just feel there was chance for one or two more, and if that meant that Vestergaard wasn't in the first team Premier League squad, so what? If it, if it meant that one or two others, I mean, someone like Sammy Braybrook's done his cruciate ligament, um, another one. So, um, you know, some of them youngsters maybe weren't in the squad. So, essentially, yeah, that, that that's what I mean. If it meant bringing in a, a Loftus-Cheek or someone else, I see Lakanga's gone to uh, Palace, uh, the, the midfielder from Arsenal, someone like that even, I think maybe just another one or two I would have liked to have seen to refresh it. I think that I, I quite like the fullback as a signing. I think that's good. But um, maybe even a goalkeeper as well. Um, again, goalkeepers are out there. You look at um, the goalkeeper up at Newcastle. 
that was at Manchester United. I mean, they brought in Butland, for example. Uh, I think maybe room for a goalkeeper to come in and put a bit of pressure on Ward. Again, it could have even been just on a four or five month deal until the summer, just to almost go to Ward. Look, I'm not being funny, but this is this is what's behind you now. You know, you're making any slip ups. We're going to bring in this experienced guy um, before maybe Everson hopefully takes over because I, I think he's looking looking very very good. So. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. Six out of ten to, to end on a low note. Um, but, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. We're going to beat Villa 2-1, aren't we? 